Hi, everybody. I'm Josh. And I am Alyssa. And we are back with a brand new episode of the podcast was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. I'll read along, Pod. We will dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. I'm a long-time reader. I am a... This is my first time through. And together, we have thoughts. Some days better thoughts than others. How are you today, Ice? I'm doing all right. Hanging in there. Good way to be. I did not go on my regular bike ride this morning, so I am energetic. <laughs> but life is getting through. I made some great smoked ribs for Labor Day yesterday. Oh, nice. Love me some beef ribs. Thank your local labor union for that uh, weekend. <clears throat> Upton Sinclair helped a little bit, uh, at least in the U.S. But yeah, I think they intentionally separated Labor Day from May Day to make sure we didn't get thinking of doing stuff down here. But uh, still a good day <laughs> off. Some barbecue. Lovely day out. So that's nice. Did you get up to yesterday? Anything fun? Not, not, not too much. I went out with some, some friends came down from um, the East Bay and we went out Saturday, Sunday night and they just crashed over and we just kind of hung around, hung out. They left and then I just didn't do much more. I did start another batch of mustard though. So. Ooh, nice. Yes. So maybe when I, uh, maybe it should be done for when I drive down to fly to Hawaii with mom. Awesome. Yeah. Last one, I just put on basically every meal, no matter <laughs> it's, what. It was good shit. It was incredible. And it's super easy to make. It just, you know, have to let the, let it absorb the vinegar and um, beer for like a couple days. And it's great. I'm not very handy like a craftsman. Though I did teach myself how to sweat copper over COVID. So that's something. <laughs> but uh, I do love, I like making stuff like food and drinks and stuff. Yeah. Uh, Lissy is very handy, but also. <laughs> well, but I think the thing too is like we grew up where our mom was always like, she would feed people. She would make things from scratch and things like that. So it was kind of like, it's just a normal kind of thing for us where it's like, I can figure out how to do that. <laughs> that well, and my, that's my, my fatal flaw is I can figure out how to do that. <laughs> I have so many hobbies because of that. Yeah. I think it's an ADHD uh, thing where I like, I will get all in oh, on yeah. something. Like, I was making yogurt for like three months one time when I was living past <laughs> A Greek yogurt, really easy to make, actually. Really just a fun process. Yeah. But then you just dr- drop it and move on to the next thing. We get upset. I've been with. making mozzarella cheese every couple of weeks, so I understand that. <laughs> I made that once. Uh, either way, Lissy makes some great mustard. Uh, <laughs> Patreon subscribers will get a taste of the mustard. <laughs> That's awesome. So funny. All right. Fantastic. I know we're at the start of the book, but you want to kind of catch us up where we're at in universe, just kind of set the scene. You bet. So at the end of the last book, we learned, uh, well, in the last book, we learned Thomas is his half brother. Thomas has kind of been um, shunned by the white court. Um, Lana had taken over the day-to-days from their father, who was kind of no longer his self, let's just say. And in order to keep that facade, uh, she had to kick Thomas out. So Thomas is crashing on Harry's couch. Um, Harry also ended up with a dog called Mouse, small and gray and fluffy. Uh, When we last encountered him, (laughs) we found out Mavra may not be dead from a tip from Kincaid. 
And, uh, you know, the world is just as the world is. Crazy and wild. The last thing we, we caught in the last novel was that Thomas had moved in with mm-hmm. Harry in his itty-bitty, not studio, but tiny apartment, uh, basement apartment. And Lissy read the first chapter, which is great. He is Harry is now considering fratricide. Uh-huh. Because it is difficult to live with someone when you've lived on your own for a long time. Probably more so a brother and far more so an incubus who can't control <laughs> yes absolutely uh, accidentally seducing every woman that walks by so mm-hmm. thomas is having trouble we find here holding down a job he is a, kind of a slob again he's never really had to do a whole lot he's kind of been a, a, kept, mm-hmm. a kept man um so but he was also a rich kid so like yeah, that's what i meant it's kind of like, you know, when you went to college with kids and they were like rich kids and they've never done their laundry, they've never done dishes, and you're just like, oh, dear God. It's the same concept. That was what I was thinking about, like, when, you know, those kids you went to college with who'd never done any of that stuff. Whether or not you do know how to do laundry, that is a great icebreaker. First, first week, so. <laughs> oh, I don't know what I'm doing. What goes where? <laughs> I was not smooth enough to do that, but I know it's a good idea. I guess that reinforces strict gender roles, which is not ideal. But if she's in there doing laundry, she knows how. There you go. Hmm. Show some uh, vulnerability. <laughs> Either way, the place is a mess as Harry gets back. The creatures aren't fed. Mister's just waiting to petulantly, angrily storm out of the house, um, his apartment that he lets the other people stay in. And uh, we see... His books are creased. His, his paperbacks are creased. His uh, hard books are left spread open which is the real crime in this whole thing. <laughs> we see a mostly naked woman come out and pick up her clothes that are strewn around the absolutely destroyed um, sex explosion that was in the living room and progressed to Harry's bed. And it, it seems like this is something that happens quite a bit. Uh, Harry, Harry says specifically, another jogger. <laughs> so again, it, it's hard to really be too mad at Thomas because it isn't something he's ever had to control. It's never something he has a whole lot of experience controlling. Destroying the place and then b- boning on your host's bed is probably not not ideal. But, it, you know, I, I, what, how do you feel about that? How, how much do you hold that against Thomas? What should we talk about? I mean, he's a shit roommate, let's be honest. But a lot of this stuff he can't really... He's trying to navigate. We've learned it's been a year, and he's, he's trying to navigate. So I don't know how much you could hold against him. But it has been a year. Yeah, and so I, it's one of those where, like, you understand why Harry's upset and Thomas needs to clean up a bit. Or even better, you just leave and you come back, it's clean. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, we hear another mention of the brownies that come in and clean in the uh, apartment. And I did text Josh when I, when I was reading this, asking him, where does one find fairy house cleaners? Because I would be stoked on them just letting them loose in my craft room right now. <laughs> to which I replied, avert a war between summer and winter. And it, it comes with comes with the gig. The reward. <laughs> Thomas has been fired from another job. And again, it's the same thing where he's just getting attacked sexually. He's getting sexually assaulted and then fired, basically. Um, so, you know, so again, a lot of sympathy for the guy, but also not hard to clean up a little bit. And then we, one of the reasons Harry wants him to clean up so badly is that Murphy's coming by. And Harry kind of refers to as a work friend and Thomas knows him better than that by now and knows that Harry definitely has feelings for Murphy. I don't even think Harry knows how deep or where those feelings go. There's something there. So that adds to his frustration with the place looking like shit. Thomas leaves. Harry takes the dog out. And while he's out there, Murphy pulls up and he invites her in. Sorry, I can't. I've got a plane to catch. I don't really have time, which I don't know if we've ever seen Murphy leave town. 
no. seven, six novels. So this is certainly, you know, she mentions that uh, she hasn't had a vacation in a long time. And he says, oh, a vacation, huh? By yourself? Well, that's sort of the thing I wanted to talk about. <laughs> She's not expecting trouble, but Lissy gets what Lissy wants, obviously. And she is shipping this, and Murphy has been going on a couple dates with Kincaid. And now they are going on a tropical romantic getaway to Hawaii. I love that I was right about that. <laughs> Immediately also, like the first couple pages. <laughs> it was so fantastic. Harry gets jealous. We saw that again last time when Kincaid was taking Murphy's pants off. And he, you know, he had that internal battle where he knows he shouldn't, he doesn't have any control and no power over her, but screw it. I'm jealous anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have as much of the, the thought back and forth because I, she's a lot deeper in the relationship and he's being fussy, but he's kind of doesn't snap at her, but he very clearly, you know, says some jealous bro stuff. And mm. a lot of it is well-founded, right? He is worried yeah. about anyone going to hang out one-on-one with Kincaid. He doesn't want to see her get hurt, but there's definitely more to it than this. Mm-hmm. He ha- tells her to give her a call when she lands and kind of keep him updated just to make sure she's safe. Harry is going to water her plants while she's gone. Sexy plant water. The funny thing is, it's just like, that's such a mundane thing. And I wouldn't have thought of Murphy as a houseplant person. Remember, she has like a, a cute little house that she inherited from her grandmother. Yeah, but it, I just, I wouldn't have thought of houseplants. Go Murphy. I have a houseplant problem. So I'm up to 28 or 30 plants right now. This weekend or? No, total. <laughs> Though I have four cuttings that are, four cuttings that need to be repotted. Five, actually. <laughs> I am Alyssa. <laughs> I have a plant problem. While he's out there, he grabs the mail and heads inside. He's got a couple checks and an envelope that is definitely strange. It gives him the gives him the willies, and he realizes something's wrong. It is too perfect of handwriting, which suggests certainly not I was the author. And <laughs> Nor I. <laughs> there were three things in the envelope: an eight by ten color photo, and it was a shot of Karen Murphy, not in uniform but in the Red Cross jacket holding an illegal sawed-off shotgun, basically murdering a Renfield. We know, and Mav, who the sender of this message knows that the Renfield was no longer human, but I don't know if the Superior Court of Cook County are interested in the Renfield defense. <laughs> there was a letter from Mavra telling Harry she wanted to meet, and the last thing thing that scares the shit out of anyone who understands the supernatural was a lock of golden hair Hmm. just about the right shade and length to belong to karen murphy and we know if you have hair you can control someone with magic so basically someone is holding a gun to murphy's head and saying come meet me or either i perform magic on her and destroy her physically or i send this picture to the cops and destroy her professionally pretty gnarly Not a great way to start. All right. So our plucky wizard, he brings his dog mouse. The dog and I went to my grave. Quite a, quite a sentence there. Um, And he talks about the, about the cemetery and about how there are walls around the cemetery and that it is known to have far more than its share of ghost stories and attendant shades. The cemetery isn't open after dark. Most aren't. And there's a reason for it. Everybody knows the reason, and nobody talks about it. It isn't because there are dead people in there. It's because there are not quite dead people in there. 
Ghosts and shadows linger in graveyards more than anywhere else, especially in the older cities of the country, where the oldest, biggest cemeteries are right there in the middle of town. That's why people build walls around graveyards, even if they're only two feet high. Not to keep people out, but to keep other things in. Walls have a kind of power in the spirit world, and the walls around graveyards are almost always filled with the unspoken intent of keeping the living and the unliving seated at different sections of the community dinner table. I love this lore. I love that him bringing that in, where it's just like, it's all of the normal Mm -hmm. stuff you see in cemeteries. Every cemetery has a wall or a gate. And it's not to keep people out. It's to keep other things in. And damned if I minded the company of my own personal monster going to meet a vampire over my grave. I just love how he keeps saying my grave. It's so morbid and cool. And he talks about that there's this uh, little girl's grave that had a statue mounted on it that looked like Lewis Carroll's original Alice. Supposedly, the child's ghost would occasionally animate the statue and run and play among the graves and the neighborhoods near the graveyard. I'd never seen her myself. But hey, the statue was missing. My grave is one of the more humble ones there. It's standing open, too. The vampire noble who bought it for me had it set up to be that way. She'd gotten me a coffin on permanent standby, too. Sort of like the president gets Air Force One, only a little more morbid. Dead Force One. So we learn that it has his name inlaid with gold and a gold inlaid pentacle. Underneath it are more letters. He died doing the right thing. It's a sobering sort of place to visit. I mean, we're all going to die. We know that on an intellectual level. We figure it out sometime when we're still fairly young, and it scares us so badly that we convince ourselves we're immortal for more than a decade afterwards. Death. You can't escape it. You will die. It's, that's a bitter, hideously concrete fact to endure, but believe me, you get it in a whole new range of color and texture when you face it standing over your own open grave. And so Mouse is on full alert and he is basically, he's right under Harry's hand and Harry very deliberately takes his, his pentacle off his neck and puts it around his hand. He's got several garlic cloves tied together. Mavra had given him, given me her word of honor, but I had plenty of other enemies who would love to take a shot at me. And you can't really trust Mavra. She could be sending somebody in because, or she could be alerting someone to his presence there. And she is late. Mouse let out a growl so low and quiet that I barely heard it, but I could feel the dog's sudden tension and wariness quivering up through my maimed hand and shanking my arm to the elbow. He very deliberately grips his his staff and wraps his fingers around the staff with his fingers landing on the runes carved into it. And then a mist gathers and she flows into the form of a withered corpse, that of a woman emaciated and dried as though from years of the earth. And she sits up in the in the grave and says, Wizard Dresden, a flower for your grave. Mavra, I said, you're late. There was a headwind. Her private jet got uh, backed up. And then she notices his hand and says, you, you kept your hand. After those burns, I would have thought you would have amputated it. It's mine. And it's none of your business. And you're wasting my time. This actually made me think of something, and I know this usually goes into analysis, but I'm I'm telling it right now. His hand is like Murphy's hair. If someone had his hand, they'd be able to control him and have power over him. That was what, literally, as soon as I thought about that. You're allowing your mortality to make you impatient, Dresden. Surely you want to take this opportunity to discuss your assault on my scourge? 
no, I'm not here to socialize. You've got dirt on Murphy and you want something from me. Let's have it. And she says, we, very well. We shall embrace brevity. Find the word of Kemmler, she said. Then she turned, dark skirts flaring, one hand resting neg- negligently upon her sword and started to leave. Hey, that's it? That's it, she said without turning. Wait a minute, she paused. What the hell is the word of Kemmler? A trail. Leading to what? Power. And you want it? Yes. And you want me to find it? Find it. Yes. Alone. Tell no one of our agreement or what you are doing. What happens if I tell you to go to hell? Maverick silently lifted a single arm. There was a photo between two of her desiccated fingers. And even in the moonlight, I could see that it was of Murphy. I'll stop you, I said. And if I don't, I'll come after you. If you hurt her, I'll kill you so hard your last ten victims will make miraculous recoveries. I won't have to touch her. I'll send the evidence to the police. The mortal authorities will prosecute her. You can't do that. Wizards and vampires may be at war, but we get we leave the mortals out of it. Once you get mortal authorities involved, the council will do it as well. And then the Reds. You could es- escalate matters into global chaos. If I intended to employ the mortal authorities against you, perhaps. You are white council. The protector of the people, the defender of the law, will find herself a convicted murderer. And her only explanation would make her sound like a madwoman. She is prepared to die in battle, wizard. But I won't merely kill her. I will unmake her. I will destroy the labor of her life and her heart. You bitch. Of course. She looked me. She looked at me over her shoulder. And unless you are prepared to unmake mortal civilization, or at least enough of it to impose your will upon it, There is nothing you can do to stop me. Like hell there isn't, I snarled. If I hadn't agreed to a truce, I would... Kill me in my tracks, wizard. But it will do you no good. Unless I put a halt to it, the pictures and other evidence will be sent to the police. And I will do so only once I am satisfied with your retrieval of the word of Kemmler. Find it. Bring it to me before three midnights hence, and I will turn over the evidence to you. You have my word. This really pisses him off. She disappears. We we know that one of the things Harry hates the most are bullies. So this is like... Yeah. It's both the best way to get his attention, but also the worst way to get him to do what you want. He's gonna... It's going to be... Um, it's gonna be malicious compliance when you make him do something like that, right? Like, she's gonna get what she wants, but... She's oh, 100%. Unnecessarily poking the bear here. Again, just reinforces yeah. how much power Mavra has. Uh-huh. But there there are two other things I wanted to point out. She refers to him as Wizard Dresden, and then just Dresden. So she changes it up. And the other thing, every other time we've seen Mavra, she's spoken very intentionally. He goes back and forth between using contractions for her and then drops the contractions. So she, it's very, her speech patterns have changed since we've encountered her last. That was just something I noticed. Yeah, there's not the vines and vows that you usually get with this old time. Yes. Yeah. She, and it's Isle, Wheel, Yule, where she hasn't... I mean, I know that contractions have been around for hundreds of years, but it's it's different in her speech patterns that we've seen before. And so, aside from ruining my birthday, if Maver needed something that soon, it meant that some kind of power struggle was about to go down. And three midnights hence meant Halloween night. Aside from ruining my birthday... It meant that black magic was going to be brought into play sometime soon. And at this time of year, that could mean only one thing. 
necromancy. So he and Mouse head out. Let's get you home. No sense in more than one of us getting involved with this. So he even wants to protect the doggy. So we've seen this throughout the first couple chapters where I mentioned it last novel. And this isn't something that bothers me about any of these books because I want more people to read them. But he does start almost like he gives a lot of exposition about his situation, who, who characters are. You know, he does the description of the Blue Beetle again. Almost like they want new readers to be able to just pick this one up. And I, I think I mentioned that last week that, mm-hmm. you know, on a lot of the forums and stuff, there's there a lot of people recommend this as like a first one for people. Because uh, for one reason, or mm-hmm. another, I, I don't. Um, but I like that. Mm-hmm. I know that. I know I've heard some people that bother some people. I, I don't want to gatekeep and I, I don't mind that. It does, you know, make the first couple chapters a little bit more tedious especially on rereads, but definitely you know, mm-hmm. even where, where you're at, where you're diving, you know what the Blue Beetle's about because you've read these books. Um, but even back then, the books were coming out a year apart. I, it, it is clunky, but it, like I said, I, I, I like that getting more people involved. Um, so, but he describes the Blue Beetle. He talks about his lab. But there are a lot of novel series that are like that. Um, where it's, so it, it doesn't really, because he doesn't, he doesn't give super long descriptions. Yeah, there's like a paragraph or so about the Blue Beetle, but it's not, uh, to me at least, it doesn't come across as overly... Um, yeah, no, it's, it's not too Overly bad. clunky. It, it's one of those things where it doesn't really work with Harry telling the story, because whether he's telling it to us or he's written... You know, but I, I don't... Yeah, that, that is true. The only true. time that really bothered me was um, the conversation yeah. about the varsity in book two when like, Harry asked Murphy about the varsity. Like, didn't that burn down? Like, yes, you, you were there when it started, but it, it's, I guess right? I, 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 I like that what it's doing. Um, I just mentioned it cause it started the chapter there. So he, he heads yeah. down to oh, his no, lab totally. to try to get some answers on the situation. And we get our first conversation with Bob, a side mm-hmm. benefit to the brownies coming through and cleaning, which they did while Harry was out walking mouse. They also refilled the ice box with, both ice and uh, food, often pizza, and Coke as well. So he, he's got himself a cold Coke, <laughs> uh, which will certainly make his day a little bit better. Caffeine, get, get the juices flowing. But he heads down okay. to the lab and wakes up Bob. And we learn it's been weeks. It's been weeks since you needed me. So we see Bob all the time, but Harry really only busts him out when he needs it. There's somebody who was, again, a, a word of Jim, that... Uh, but he wants these books to basically what we're reading is the worst weekend of each year in Harry's life. Which, <laughs> yeah, right. Because he does That's reasonable. Have cases in between. Mentioned one in the first chapter, and he also works for for SI, and SI can't handle a book level threat, right? So um, I love just, that a book level threat, right? It's just easy. It's interesting though um, that Bob was stuck in the in the skull for a couple weeks because he can't really. Maybe he can hang out in there reading his novels, but not getting a whole lot of uh, action. So, you know, Bob wants to wants to cook. But what it also means is he goes to Bob when he's it's beyond his knowledge base. So basically what he's what we know about is he's been. Yeah, no, for sure. Doing stuff that are within his wheelhouse. And also, if he had those sorts of cases every week, why the fuck is he staying in Chicago? Why the fuck is he an op- an, a wizard that's out? It, it, so it does make sense where it's like, it's not 
every week, yeah, you I know, just, the world is ending. I, I so just, I kind of, I really that. like I that. I wonder what that suggests about their relationship. I know they're not friends. And mm-hmm. Bob's basically a slave, but that's kind of his role in our universe. So I, I, but I, I've always thought of it as kind of friendly, mm-hmm. you know, if grading, but when he doesn't need him, he doesn't use him. So it's just a, a business relationship at this point, which is not necessarily coherent with what we've seen before, but I, I don't know how much you trust Bob being out and about all the time for sure. So mm-hmm. Bob mentions his blasting that he hasn't made a new blasting rod yet. And it's been almost a year since Inari smashed it over Harry. So he, he hasn't had a blasting rod, which we've seen as his main tool in combat and in you know, explosive thaumaturgy type situations. And he's been doing without. And here we see him lighting the matches, sorry, lighting the candles in his lab with matches. He definitely has some PTSD issues with the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and he hasn't been using fire magic, which is easily a, a majority, I would say, of the spells that Harry uses. Um, certainly a plurality is Fuego. And you know we don't see it all the time, but Flickabicus as well. Yes. Harry asks Bob about Kemler. And we learned that Kembler was best known for World War I. <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> so obviously bad news. When they did kill him, it took the White Council. You mean the Wardens? The White Council. Basically, all hands on deck to shut down this one guy. So he was very bad news. To the extent Very where, powerful. Absolutely. But to the extent where Bob uses the word evil. Remember, Bob thinks of morality as kind of a funny human thing. But this guy was so atrocious that even Bob mm-hmm. had a problem with it. Again, just giving us kind of levels of what we're talking about. He was a necromancer. Which we've learned is bad news. Not ideal, certainly. Um, unless you're a recently dead corpse, in which case it's great news. Boy, howdy. But he also had a bunch of apprentices and thugs and just kind of a, a almost a cult following. A guy this powerful, you would, that would make sense, right? Yeah. And they thought they'd killed him a couple times, but now they're pretty darn sure he's dead. And we learned the big reveal here, burying the lead, Bob, that Kemmler was Bob's owner for about 40 years. I do love the, you work mm-hmm. with this monster? I do what I do proudly. <laughs> he has a role and he performs his role and that's really all he can do. Mm-hmm. But I like that he's proud of, of he does yeah. his job well. See, not trusting. <laughs> exactly. And we learn kind of the path that Bob took. Justin DeMorn, Harry's erstwhile mentor slash father figure slash attempted murderer Hmm. was a warden when they took out Kemmler and he pulled the skull out of the smoldering ruins. Sort of like when you pulled me out of the smoldering ruins of Justin's lab, when you killed him (laughs) circle of life, like that Owen John song. (laughs) So again, uh, just one of those like subtle things that potentially, you know, mean big things are afoot. Harry stops taking notes. He's a fastidious note keeper and journal keeper and he stops taking notes because Mm -hmm. he's not sure this conversation was something he wanted to create a record and we see why very shortly yeah where bob doesn't know what the word of kemmler is we get a good reference to uh friday who has come up on this pod before sabrina is familiar and again we see a, a phrase that doesn't really make sense with what we know bob says i don't remember very much of it Bob, you never forget anything. No. Mm-hmm. Unless I want to, Harry. Which is a new talent that we see from Bob. He's a, no, he's a spirit of intellect. 
So his job is to collect knowledge, which he does so proudly. He can choose to forget things, or he can be compelled to forget things. And which honestly, that is the most interesting thing that we've learned. That he can be compelled to forget. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It, it seems like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense with what his role is. And that was just what I was going to say, because his, his entire role is being, you know, he's there for information. So I thought that was really interesting that that is his, that is something that has been built in. But we've seen kind of the, this war of information where the white court published Bram Stoker's Dracula. The white council uh-huh. has destroyed literature. Um, I like that, that this war of information though, I like that, that phrase a lot. Yeah. And there's a lot of players in that and it's sometimes you want it. Sometimes you want to destroy it, but sometimes like the, you know, a lot of these rights, you want to keep it to yourself. You don't, you know, you don't Mm -hmm. want to destroy it. So, um, but yeah, the different ways that knowledge, I mean, knowledge is power. We know that. And it's very clear. And And it's actually knowledge is, is wielded as a weapon in these stories, which I mean, it is quite a powerful weapon. Absolutely. And Bob asked to come out for the conversation, which, Harry, again, just Bob's acting funny here, which uh, when people mm-hmm. from the past come up, it's not atypical, but we've never seen this out of Bob, right? Uh, Harry certainly went yeah. to hell when Elaine was in town, but, but you don't expect that of, you know, a thousand-year-old spirit. Harry says, yeah, for the, for the length of this conversation, and Bob immediately starts talking about the blasting rod again, talking about going, you know, getting out of town. He does not want to talk about this. Mm-mm. And he even said, you know, Harry says, then tell me what you know. And again, Bob can make, make sure that it's a command before he does. Yes. Is that a command? Do I have to make it one? You don't want to command me to remember, Harry. Why not? Because knowledge is what I am. Losing my knowledge of what I knew about of Kemmler took away a, a big piece of my existence. Like if someone had cut off your arm, what's left of it? What's left of what I know of Kemmler is close to the missing pieces. Like I know, I was okay before. Not, not good. Mm-hmm. To, no, I don't like this week. <laughs> um, either way. Um, and then it hurts is what Harry kind of intimates from that, but it hurts, but it's more than that. And mm-hmm. Bob still kind of argues and he, he ends up having to make a command, which again, we've seen in the past them having back and forth where Harry, Bob doesn't want to do stuff, but again, very specific new interactions and, and situations here with Bob. Yeah. And as soon as he makes the command, there's a change. Kemla. Right. What do you want to know, wizard? Again, Bob does not call Harry wizard. No. And Bob is now calm. And Harry asks again, tell me what the word of Kem or commands again. Tell me what the word of Kemler is. Knowledge. Truth. Power. Uh, a little more specific. The master wrote down his teachings, wizard, so that those who came after him could learn from him. Could learn about True power of knowledge. Um, and, and they confirm that they're talking about necromancy, which you know, they refer to as true magic, uh, the followers of it. I don't know if they do that in this chunk, but 
it's not a spoiler. Um, but again, they they hold other magic as beneath them. You know, necromancy is the true mm-hmm. magic. manipulating life and death. And Bob says that it's a truth that reveals itself to those who seek it out. And Harry asks, "What what what do you mean?" And when Bob's acting weird, I would be a little bit more wary. But he ends up kind of attacking him in a way that we've, again, a way we've never seen before. It gets cold and spooky in the lab. Um, Bob has a very tender, romantic poem to death. Um, Cold, slow, and sweet. Um, And he comes and tries to put a little bit of death inside of Harry. That's how he refers to it. And part of the, this power goes in Harry's mouth, and but it starts to choke him and take over. And again, it's a bot. It's, it's terrifying. Awful. And Harry finally does something clever. And you know, as Bob is going to win because you can't really fight an air spirit. He says, "You, know, you can't, can't fight free." Finally, you thick-witted ogre. I get to leave your stupidity behind. And Harry, this is the this is the clever part. Bob and Harry finally comes to his senses and realizes that he has power here by saying, "Bob, this conversation is over." Which was the agreement, and he is forced back into the skull. And Again, I kind of mentioned at the top of this chapter that their relationship isn't necessarily always what we've seen, and this may be why, that there's so much about Bob that Harry doesn't know. And again, Bob doesn't even really remember the conversation here. So he tells him to forget forever, to cut off all knowledge of, you know, the direct knowledge of working with Kemmler. And we learn that Bob still doesn't know what the word of Kemmler is, probably a book, right? But that Kemmler has would make sense. Three other books: the blood of Kemmler, the mind of Kemmler, and the heart of Kemmler. And again, these were spread all over Europe. And the wardens put on their epic production of Fahrenheit 451. <laughs> the other thing I want to point out, though, is when he told him to basically forget it forever. It Bob even told him he's like, I don't know more than you can find in a book. After, you know, and that was a very, uh, where he, even Bob's well-being is important to him. Absolutely. Again, Harry sacrificing, you know, a real power here. We know you can control the, the skull, you know, keeping him in the skull, and but it hurts. And it's, it's a, it makes Bob's existence worse. And so he sacrifices, you yeah. know, some knowledge, which is power and ability to, you know, hopefully solve this case sooner to help. The guy that almost killed him a second ago, right? Again, just the selflessness. Yeah. Really uh, good stuff. But that's what we've learned what Harry does. We, I mean, we've mentioned it a million times. That's why we keep coming back, even with his flaws, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, and... Couple of uh, we learned a couple of Kemmler's disciples escaped the White Council's 
shut down. And this book will probably make each or one or all of them as powerful as Kemmler. So it becomes even more imperative that we find it. And But we're going to give yeah. it to a bad guy. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see what happens. That cross, We'll burn that bridge when we come to it. <laughs> and we get we do get some direction for the case because what they ha- the necromancers have to do is kind of juice up they have to uh what's it called prime. they kind of have to prime the what the necromancers have to do is prime the pump there's going to be some violent killings and death and destruction to try to get the kind of barrier between the mortal mortal realm and the never never to weaken enough that they can really start to execute their power with true magic. And plus, if they're setting up for some big juju, they'll they'll have left bodies. If they've done that, it's a place to start tracking them and find out what's going on. Well, and also to be a necromancer, you need a dead body. True. And I mean, that's kind of a big part of it, I think. Well, some of them use bone scales. <laughs> Corpse explosion. But, but, but you know, to have bones yeah, to use, one must have... I was referencing <laughs> um, Yes, in ah. universe, I, I don't know how... We don't know much about true magic yet, but I'm going to keep calling it that just in case someone gives me the power and then I'll be unstoppable. And Bob asks where he's going. And he sticks his head back down the trap door and says, The more. All right, so he heads over. I love this. Chicago has a bitch in morgue. <laughs> you can't call it a morgue anymore because it's the Forensic Institute now. And is isn't run by a coroner either because now it's a medical examiner. But those are actually coroner medical examiners still exist. One is just based under law enforcement. One is based under the county. That's, there is actually a concrete difference between the two. And the morgue is the physical room where the bodies are. It's the... It's so they still have a morgue, but anyway. So I, I actually, I, because of you, I, you know, because my experience, your experience, and me listening to the words out of your mouth, I knew that. But I actually don't mind this because Harry. No, no, I love it. Harry doesn't know everything. No, no, right? He, he's just being snarky, even though he's wrong. It's just not. It's not well, bad. and this is also, but it's also very much the the common knowledge, yeah, aspect of it. Which you know, how many people actually know these things? Yeah. You know, I unfortunately have a lot of experience with death. Actually, I guess it's fortunate because I really do enjoy my job, but that's very much, you know, and Cook County does have a really nice facility. I was going to say that line um, <laughs> is basically written for you. Yes. Yes. And I was so glad it was in chapter four and it's upscale. Sure. But it's also very quiet. Most morgues are very quiet. Their patients are very, very, I actually quiet. would have a serious problem if the morgue was not very quiet. Right. Exactly. It's upscale, sure, but it's also very quiet. Despite the gorgeous landscaping and a more antiseptic naming scheme, it's where they bring the dead to be poked and prodded. So he parks the blue beetle next door. The morgue had more than average security, and I didn't want to advertise my presence. I grabbed my bribe from the backseat and headed to the front door. He flashes a little card, and Phil, the night security guard, who he knows well, he asks him official business. He says it's unofficial and hands him some of McAnally's home uh, micro brew. And uh, Phil says, I like unofficial better. <laughs> and he's, how come I've never heard of this bar? 
just a local tavern, I said, and I didn't add that caters to the supernatural community doesn't exactly try to attract the attention of the locals. I'll have to get you, uh, I'll have to get you to take me by sometime. Sure. Is he in here? Back in the slabs. You know, if anyone had come through that door, I'd tell him to get his ass going before someone drives up or something. Gone. So he's basically warning Harry, hey, just keep going. You don't want to be caught out here. And so we are reintroduced to Waldo Butters, who is currently operating a one-man polka band. As you do. Butters was a little guy, maybe five foot three in his shoes, maybe 120 pounds soaking wet. He was dressed in, in blue hospital scrubs and hiking boots, which is an interesting combination. And he's got basically all of the, it's in like those cartoons where he has all of the polka instruments attached uh, to him. And as he moves, it, it makes noise. I, I just want to say that the hiking boots is a huge upgrade from the slippers last time. Oh, 100%. 100%. So... Uh, I can see you're busy. He missed the sarcasm. Heck yeah, gotta get set. Oktoberfest Battle of the Bands tomorrow night. <laughs> I thought you weren't going to enter after last year. <laughs> I'm not gonna let the Jolly Rogers laugh at me like that. I mean, come on, five guys named Rogers. How much polka can be in their souls? I have no freaking clue, I answered truthfully. I'll get him this year. He's a surprise to see you. Your checkup isn't until next week. Your hand bothering you? Not really. Wanted to talk to you about... Oh, he hopped up from the stuff and left it on the floor. Before you get started, I found something interesting. So he goes on to explain. He says, I'm not sure I buy into this whole hidden world of magic thing, but from what you've told me, wizards can live five or six times as long as an average human. That's closer to forever than anyone I know. And what I've seen makes me think there must be something to it. He shows other x-rays and he says, this one is from a couple of years ago. See the fracture lines? They're brighter where the bone refused leaves that signature. So? So, look at this one. He flipped up a third x-ray. It was like the others, but without any of the brighter dark lines. What? I asked. Harry, this is an x-ray I took two months ago. Notice the lack of anything wrong? So? It healed, right? Harry, you are dense. Bones don't do that. You carry marks where they were refused for the rest of your life. Or rather, I would. You don't. What's that got to do with the wizard lifespan? Here, here, here are some more. This is a stress fracture to that arm that didn't get shot. You got it in that fall from the train a couple of nights after we met. It was just a crack. You didn't even know you had it, and it was mild enough that it just needed a splint for a few days. It was off before you were ambulatory. What's so odd about that? Nothing. But look, here it is again. There's a fuse marker, and in the third one, poof, it's gone. Your arm is back to normal. Maybe I just drink too much milk or something. Harry, look, you're a tough guy. You've been injured a lot. And I'm willing to bet you've had plenty of boo-boos you never saw a doctor about. Sure, I said. You're at least as battered as a professional athlete. I mean, like a hockey player or a football player. Maybe as much as some race car drivers. They get battered? When you go around driving half a ton of steel and at a third the speed of sound for a living, you get all kinds of injuries. Even the crashes that aren't spectacular are pretty vicious on the human body at the speeds they're going. Ever been in a low-speed accident? Sure. Yeah, sore for a week. Exactly. Multiply that. These guys and other athletes take a huge beating, right? They develop a mental and physical toughness that lets them ignore a lot of pain and overcome the damage. But the damage gets done to their bodies. Nonetheless, it's cumulative. That's why you see football players, boxers, a lot of guys like that all beat to hell by the time they're in their 30s. They regain most of the function after an injury, but the damage is still there. And it adds up bit by bit. Again, I ask, what's that got to do with me? You aren't cumulative. Eh? Your body doesn't get you functional again and they leave off. 
It continues repairing damage until it's gone. Do you understand how incredibly significant that is? I guess not. Harry, that's why people age to begin with. Your body is a big collection of cells, right? Most of them get damaged or wear out and die. Your body replaces them. It's a continual process. But the thing is, every time the body makes a replacement, it's a little less perfect than the one that came before. A copy of a copy thing. I heard about that. Yeah. That's how you're able to heal these injuries. It's why you have the potential to live so long. Your copies are perfect, or at least a hell of a lot closer to it than most folks. You're saying I can heal any injury? Not like mutant X-factor healing. If someone cuts an artery, you're going to bleed out. But if you survive it, given enough time, your body seems to be able to replace things almost perfectly. It might take months, even several years, but you can get better when other people wouldn't. I think you're going to get your hand back at some point. It didn't mortify or come off. There's still living muscle tissue there. Given enough time. I think you'll be able to replace scar tissue and regrow the nerves. That, that would be nice. We can help it along, I think. Physical therapy. So this is a big deal. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, holy shit, that's amazing. But also, it gives us a little insight into Harry's power is cell deep. It's not just something that he creates or pulls in with Will. His power is cell deep. And he asks, why am I able to make good copies? I have no freaking clue. Neat, huh? And that is the most realistic coroner thing he could have said. What causes it? I don't know, but it's neat, huh? I mean, it's just, we think things are, weird things are really cool. But it's, it's, uh, oh yeah, it's fascinating. And it's also, I mean, also. It's also realistic, right? Like. One of the things that is really annoying mm-hmm. in, in like movies is when a scientist is just like, oh, it's this. And then they like, you know, know everything. It's like, I have no idea. <laughs> I just think it's really interesting. Let's, let's well, figure it out. But how fucking cool is it? Exactly. But I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, it's like, I, I mean, the number of times. Well, why does it do that? I don't actually know. But it's cool, huh? <laughs> I mean, it's just that's I really just I liked this scene so much. That's why I read so much of it. But it also gives us so much of the understanding of Harry and it, and I had a feeling that the hand was going to fix itself or at least get better. And this gives us the quote unquote scientific reason why it can do that. Again, it's grounding the magic in the real world and giving a really great explanation for it. And I really love that. Mm -hmm. And I hoped you could get me some information. And so he's, I need to know if there have been any odd deaths in the area in the past day or two. Uh, how? Unusually violent. Our marks of some kind of murder method consistent with a ritual killing. Hell, I'll, I'll even take signs of torture prior to death. <laughs> he's not sure, so he's, he's going to go through the uh, records. Let me check the records and see, see who's in the his house. Oh, butters. He said, oh, there's a guy that got knifed, but it happened way up in the northwest corner of the state. It would have had to be local, within a county or three of Chicago. You investigative types are always so picky about this kind of thing. Drive-by shooting victim? Definitely no. For a ritual killing, it would be a lot more intimate. Then I think you're all out of luck. There were some high-profile stiffs that came in, and the day crew took them all. Hmm, tell me about it. I got stuck with a wino and some poor bastard who got caught under a tractor and had to be tested for drugs and booze earlier tonight, but that's... Hello. So we learned that his boss passed over one of his bodies to Butters, 
And he didn't get a memo about it, not even an email. And he said, there are attempts to make it look like I'm neglecting my job so he can fire me. That one's new, but it's in the spirit of my whole history here. Maybe he was just busy today. And maybe Liv Tyler is waiting in my bedroom to rub my feet. So we learned that it's Mr. Eduardo Anthony Mendoza. He was in a head-on collision with the Buick on the expressway. Only he was a pedestrian. Looks like it might be a nasty one. No wonder High and Mighty Brioche didn't want to handle it. And this actually happens. They pawn off bad cases. We had a doctor who didn't like to do decomps, so they'd give him to the part-time. <laughs> who also didn't like to do decomps, but... Does! If someone likes to do that, that is a serious red flag, right? Right? Mind if I ask you to in- indulge in intuition? Sure. I'm as polka-empowered as I'm going to get anyway. Let me break out my gear and we'll get a look-see at the late Eddie Mendoza. So they're getting ready to pull him out, and... The door to the examination room slams open and Phil, the security guard, walks in, except his throat had been slit. There was no chance whatsoever that poor Phil was alive. That didn't stop him from striding into the room, seizing Butter's desk and throwing it, computer-heavy filing cabinet and all, into the far wall of the room, where it shattered with a thunderous sound of impact. And then another loud voice says, don't move. A big man in a khaki trench coat, and I swear to God, a dark fedora, strode into the room, intent on Butter's, and he didn't see me against the wall. Don't hurt the little coroner, gentlemen. We'll need him for a little while. And in my head, Christopher Lloyd's character from Who Killed Roger Rabbit, or Who Framed Roger Rabbit, is what popped into my head. 110%. Oh, what's his name? That squeaky voice that just terrified the generation. Yeah. Absolutely just fantastic. But that's what popped into my head. (laughs) Because, of course, pop culture pops into my head. Would we expect anything less? (laughs) Judge something. Doom. Judge Doom. Doom. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) I do love that movie. I watched it recently, and it's still as good as it was 20 years ago, 25 years ago. What's great about that movie is it's basically a true story about the L.A. red cars and the the highway system. It's fantastic. And it's just like the context is just a little different. (laughs) There were uh, really strict rules when making that because... They didn't want to piss people off. No, but they had to get permission to use all those animated characters, and they had really like rules about how long, like how much screen time they had to have, like the exact amount of screen time between Mickey and who would be the other animation studio. Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Mickey and Bugs, I think had to have the exact amount of time and stuff like that. Um, I didn't know that. That's interesting. I, I took a class on the history of uh, history of California, but a good section of it was um, LA. Oh yeah. The professor referenced that movie is like, yeah, this is actually like pretty, pretty close. <laughs> I knew that it was based on actual events. I mean, not the... <laughs> okay. Not the, uh, you know, the uh, cartoon part, but the yeah. other part. <laughs> yeah, no. Either way. <laughs> the man in the fedora took a step towards drumming a slender book against his thigh, stand aside, and dead Phil sidestepped. I like that he references the fedora again, because again, yeah. In pictures, he's wearing a hat. And yes. I did say that he, Harry never wears a hat. Obviously, I was corrected. That he, he did wear a hat when he went to war above uh, Lake Michigan. But besides that, Harry never wears a hat. <laughs> uh, but he is often detic- depicted in images. So this is it. Like, yes. All of the all of the book covers so he's got a fedora on. Evil magic fedora wearing a sorcerer. Kind of the... That's using those weaker than him for his own gain. It's like, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a bizarro hair. 
There you go. I love the line. Drumming the book on on his leg, and he also had a raised hand. Harry said, a raised hand isn't much in the regular world. But from a guy in a long coat with his own flock of zombies, it has to be at least as menacing as pointing a gun. (laughs) (laughs) For the first time, maybe ever, Harry has the upper hand in a situation here. uh, Only for a moment, but they didn't know he was there. And so he kind of steps Mm -hmm. in and creates a flank at the very least. Holding up his shield bracelet that it's interesting he hasn't replaced yet. Because it's all warped and banged up from the flamethrowers in, in the basement. Oh, yeah. But, again, magical instruments are only what you think of them. So I guess it, his brain still works with them. But it's interesting that he wouldn't, for his sake, like, for his mental health, want to make a new one, right? Yeah. Especially if he doesn't have a blasting rod, he'd want high-level defenses. What would imagine. The man in the coat and Fedora asks, who are you? And now Harry's back to his level best. The Great Pumpkin. I, mm-hmm. I've risen from the pumpkin patch bitterly because Butters is just that nifty. And you are? <laughs> you may call me Gravain. Walk away, boy. Which is interesting because it seems like everybody knows who the fuck Harry is, but this guy doesn't. Yeah, and I don't know if that means he's not a big threat or a gigantic threat. <laughs> um, right? Or he's just new, or he's just new to town. A new, new kid on the block. Needs somebody to show him around and take him to the attendance office. <laughs> he doesn't give a customary bad guy threat. He gives kind of a hairy-ish, there's room in my car for one more. <laughs> Which I like. Again, <laughs> we've seen things that yeah. are similar to what we've seen in the past, but they're just off kilter a little bit. Uh, es- escalating yeah. the tension, if not necessarily the threat quite yet. Harry draws his gun and says he's got his shield up, his shield bracelet and his gun. He's got a little O, a little D. <laughs> he brings Butters to his side. And now we kind of have ourselves a, a bit of a standoff. Gervain mentions that Harry's not a warden. Which again, are they kind of the White Council's police force slash soldiers in the war against the uh, Red Court? Again, kind of asking what we see all the time. Like, if you're not a warden, why are you doing this? Because Harry yeah. can't let people in need not be taken care of. Again, I, it's su- a subtle line. I just I wanted to point it out because I, I really like the deeper meaning there. And we get that all the time, but it's so important to reinforce it because Harry has these moments where he doesn't trust himself. He feels like he's slipping into darkness, but it's, it's in the, it's in the journals, pick it up and flip through it, buddy. He's also obviously a good guy. And even this guy who, you know, it's, it's while yes, the wardens are a hundred percent good guys, but they, you know, they have their rules and laws and that's very much, I mean, the only one we've really spent any time with is Morgan. And I wouldn't say he's 100% good guy. Yes. No, but like it's... The, yeah, it's, I understand. He thinks he's battling on, on the side of right. He's not inherently yeah, for evil. Sure. Gravain now does do the cliche bad guy, you know, join me. You'll be more power than you'll ever have. Um, he does... Harry says he doesn't like his management technique and they book it. <laughs> um, he locks the door, but not really sure that's going to do a whole lot to... Superman, Hulk, Phil, but it's at least put something in the way, gives them an extra couple of steps and they hustle out. Thing is that the doors to the morgue are usually pretty sturdy. Mm-hmm. Be- not, because of zombies. not because of zombies. Zombies are strong. You gotta have sturdy doors. But because of the smell. I mean, it's true. So they, that does make sense to lock oh, the doors. Again, it's one of those, it's a question of, do you just run or do you take the second or two to do it? And I like Butters is shaking a little bit, yeah. but he gets it locked. You know, this isn't the like, Shake, yeah. shake, shake, drop the keys, shake, 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 I can't find it, right? Butters yeah. is nervous and scared, but he's still getting shit done. They hustle. 
It's understandable that he's nervous and scared. Oh, yes. <laughs> they hustle out to Butter's car and they see that his car has been destroyed. Again, this is an interesting spot because they weren't. Harry is just a, a an innocent bystander. He just ha- was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And they were after Butters, or the right place, I guess, for Butters. And so they they, they killed yeah, his right. car to make sure he couldn't run. And then they hustle over to the Beetle. Zombie Phil runs obscenely fast and launches onto the Beetle. And Butters aptly says, holy crap. Harry releases one of his connected rings to get him away. These are not the Dawn of the Dead, Romero, slow-moving zombies. These are powerful, magically charged, kind of 28 days later. Motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, like, which Harry makes a good point when when um, Butters asks about it. Like, how come they're not walking around saying brains? But no, it, they wouldn't be good soldiers if they were slow and, you know, one track looking for brains. So it makes sense. It Definitely. makes sense, but it's also, again, just adds a level of terrifyingness that Butters certainly doesn't need. Obviously, Harry has, has been through the ringer, but they end up blasting him off and they get out of there there's a Cadillac with a pounding baseline that seems to belong to Gravain at all. And I like that after the fight, as they're going out, they're driving away. Butters is the first one to say, are you okay? Mm-hmm. He is kind of played and he feels that he's this like terrified fetal position, weakling. fetal position weakling. And in a lot of ways he is, because he doesn't have any real power, but he also has this strength locking the door listening to Harry immediately and not questioning like, and he's the one that asks his friend if he's okay, which mm-hmm. again, this, these small character moments that, that resonate and really mean a lot, you know, Butters rightfully asks what happened. And Harry goes back to early novels, Harry and says, you don't want to know. And he says, yes, I do. Like they came looking for me. I didn't go looking for this trouble. You know, this is Kim Delaney, right? Like, like you have to let him in. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. There's a line where he says, hell, if I, if I could do it, I might want to forget it. I've ever found out about any of it, which we know isn't true, but just kind of goes to show that, like, ignorance really is bliss because of how dark the world is. Mm-hmm. But Butters insists, again, showing some strength and resolve against this scary motherfucker who just did magic and fought off these crazy magical creatures. Um, you know, and says, like, help me understand this. He says, please, but... He's imperative here. He He's de- demanding yeah. to be let in, which again, is showing the strength that he wants to be involved. Again, he's not going to do a whole lot of help, but he, you got to let him know what he's dealing with. But we were just talking about how knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. This is a perfect example of that. Yeah. And Harry's finally starting to learn that. <laughs> let us give his friends some power. Yeah. But he also says, if I kept quiet, if I forced Butters to wear blinders, he wouldn't be able to do Jack to protect himself. And then he says... If he didn't, you know, if he didn't have an opportunity to survive, his blood would be on my hands. That's a very hairy moment yeah. where he's taking the blame for something that it's not his fault, but he sees it would be his fault. Yeah, I, I read a lot of the Kim, Kim Delaney from Full Moon into this. Mm-hmm. He has an opportunity to kind of do it over. And the, the line that kind of is what I've been hammering this whole chapter, Butters was smart enough to be scared. But he was also a fighter. Yeah. I could respect him for both. Okay, let's talk. All right. And so it's, you know, it is October, late October in Chicago. It's not warm. And so the they went in, got some coffee. He gave uh, Butters a, a blanket because he didn't have an opportunity to get his uh, coat. And 
All right. There are two things you have to accept if you want to understand what's going on. Hit me. First, the tough one. Magic is real. What do you mean by that? There's an entire world that exists alongside the everyday life of mankind. There are powers, nations, monsters, wars, feuds, alliances, everything. Wizards are part of it. So there are a lot of other things you've heard about in stories and even more you've never heard of. What kinds of things? Vampires, werewolves, fairies, demons, monsters, it's all real. <laughs> You're joking, right? No joke. Come on, Butters. You know that there are weird things out there. You've seen evidence of them. Well, yes, some. But Harry, you're talking about something entirely, something else entirely here. I mean, if you want to tell me that people have the ability to sense and affect their environment in ways we don't really understand yet, I can accept that. Maybe you call it magic and someone else calls it ESP and someone else calls it the force. But it's not a new idea. Maybe there are people whose genetic makeup makes them better able to employ these abilities. Maybe it even does things like make them reproduce their DNA more clearly than other people so that they can live for a very, very long time. But that is not the same thing as saying there's an army of weird monsters living right under our noses and we don't even notice them. Then he talks about the red court vampires, that vampires are only one flavor of supernatural predator. It's a jungle out there, Butters, and people aren't anywhere near the top of the food chain. Oh, there are, there are, and you're telling there are me that... Four flavors of vampires. But I, I get what you mean. Right? And you're telling me that, there's no, that nobody knows about it? Oh, lots of people know about it. But the ones who are in the know don't go around talking about it. And why not? They don't want to get locked in the loony bin, for starters, like Butters did. He's like, yeah, I guess I can see that. What about regular people who see things? The sightings and close encounters and stuff. That's the second thing you have to understand. People don't want to accept a reality that frightening. Some of them open their eyes and get involved, like Murphy did, but most of them don't want anything to do with the supernatural. So they leave it behind and they don't talk about it. Don't think about it. They don't want it to be real and they work really hard to convince themselves that it isn't. I'm sorry, but I just don't buy that. You don't need to buy it. It's true. As a race, we're an enormous bunch of idiots. We're more than capable of ignoring facts and if the conclusions they lead to make us too uncomfortable or afraid. You're saying that a whole world, multiple civilizations of scientific study and advancement and theory and application, all based around the notion of observing the universe and studying its laws is what? In error about discussing magic as superstition? Not just in error. Dead wrong. Because the truth is something that people are afraid to face. They are terrified to admit that it's a big universe and we're not. Come on, Butters, look at history. How long did the scholarly institutions of civilization consider Earth to be the center of the universe? And when people came out with the facts to prove that it wasn't, there were riots in the streets. No one wanted to believe that we all lived on an unremarkable little speck of rock in a giant, in a quiet backwater of one of the unremarkable galaxy. The world was supposed to be flat, too, until people proved that it wasn't by sailing all the way around it. No one believed in germs until years and years after someone actually saw one. Bio biologists scoffed at tales of wild beastmen living in the mountains of Af Africa, despite eyewitness testimony to the contrary, and pronounced them an utter fantasy, right up until someone plopped a dead mountain gorilla down on their dissecting table. Time after time, history demonstrates that when people don't want to believe something, they have enormous skills of ignoring it altogether. You're saying the entire human race is in denial? Most of the time, it's not a bad thing. It's just who we are. But the weird stuff doesn't care about that. It keeps on happening. Every family's got a ghost story in it. 
people, most people I've talked to, if something happened to them, that was impossible to explain. But that doesn't mean they go around talking about it afterward because everyone knows those kinds of things aren't real. If you start saying that they are, you get the weird looks and the jackets with the extra long sleeves for everyone. Every time they just keep quiet and try to forget. Tell you what, Butters, let's just drive down to CPD and you can tell them how you were just attacked by a necromancer and four zombies. How they nearly outran a speeding car and murdered a security guard who then got up and threw your desk across the room. What do you think they'd do? Unnatural things happen all the time. The preternatural world is everywhere. It just doesn't advertise. You do, Butter said. But not many people take me seriously. This is the reality that we've been able to ex- uh, accept, I guess, as part of the story here with Harry telling us all this stuff. and. and Can you imagine, though, this? You've just got attacked by zombies in the morgue, and you're driving, and somebody's telling you this. At that point, you're kind of like, the fuck? I mean, personal opinion, at least. I I love that he's Um, still, because he's been conditioned, right? He's seen red court vampires, got in trouble for it. He's seen a zombie now. He's seen Harry do magic, and he still, like, can't wrap his brain around that he's been wrong and lied to and, like, living in a different reality his whole life, right? Like, which that doesn't not make sense. It's just, it's shows like oh. how, st- you know, what exactly what Harry's talking about, like how stubborn and how big of a problem it would be for everyone to be let in on the secret. Right. Well, the other side of it is, um, it's the same concept of like cults, you know, people believe it. Of what? Oh, cult. people of cults. P- people will believe what you're told. If you're told these things don't exist and it's all fantasy, you believe it. There's no quote unquote proof. So it's, it's not, um, it's not all that hard to kind of put it out there like this. Even, you know, I don't see how things that hunt and kill human beings could be there among us without our knowing. How big was your graduating class in high school? What? Just answer me. Uh, about 800. That's a really big graduating class. Mine was 433. All right. Last year in the U.S. alone, more than 900,000 people were reported missing and not found. Are you serious? Yeah, you can check with the FBI. That's out of about a total of 300 million population. That breaks down to about one person in 325 vanishing every year. It's been almost 25, 20 years since you graduated. So that means that between 40 and 50 people in your class are gone. Just gone. No one knows where they are. So? So they're missing. Where'd they go? Well, if they're missing, they're missing. Then nobody knows. Exactly. Maybe it's coincidence, but it's almost the same loss ratio experienced by herd predators on the African savanna to large predators. Butters drew up his knees, up to his chest, huddling farther under the blanket. Really? Nobody talks about this kind of thing, but all those people are still gone. Maybe a lot of them just cut their ties and left their old lives. Maybe somewhere in, somewhere in accidents of some kind with the body never found. The point is people don't know. But it's because, but it's an extremely scary thing to think about. And because it's a lot easier to just get back to their lives, they tend to dismiss it, ignore it. It's easier. It just sounds so insane. I mean, they believe it if they saw it. If someone went on television and did what? Bent spoons? Maybe made the Statue of Liberty disappear? Turned a lady into a white tiger? Hell, I've done magic on television and everyone not screaming that it was a hoax was complaining that the special effects looked cheap. And then he talks about the um, Luke Guru video that was on the news. And everybody said it was fake. And he has all of these reasons why. 
the picture quality wasn't good. It was really dark. The camera was all jumpy. And there was an awful lot of static on the tape, which made it look like someone had messed with it. Sort of like someone messed with almost all of my x-rays. And there's one more reason you don't believe it, man. It's okay. You can say it. There's no such thing as monsters. Bingo. And, you know, you're still, you you just got attacked by The Walking Dead. You're still arguing about whether magic is real or not. Because I don't want to believe it. And he's scared. And Harry says, that's smart. Well, then, he murmured, I must be the smartest guy in the world. What do I do? I'm taking you somewhere. You'll be safe. Once I get you there, I'll figure out my next move. For now, ask me questions. I'll answer them. Who was that man? It's Gravain. He's a necromancer. Necromancy is a practice of using magic to muck around with dead things. They can animate and control corpses, manipulate ghosts, access the knowledge stored in dead brains. Butters pointed out, that's impossible. <laughs> oh, right. Sorry. They can also do a lot of really freaky things involving the soul. Even in the weird circles, it isn't the kind of thing you talk about casually. But I've heard stories that they can inhabit corpses with their consciousness, possess others, and even heard that they can bring people back from the dead. We learned about necromancy violates the laws of magic, which we already knew. He gives a little rundown about the White Court. Sorry, the White Council. And he talks about how, you know, if you break the laws of magic, the only punishment is capital punishment. They aren't fond of regular folks knowing about them, so don't talk about them to anyone else. Oh, so this guy, Gervain, he was like you. He's not like me, I said, and it came out in a snarl that even surprised me. But he's probably a wizard, yeah. So, you know, he gives a rundown that he's probably a student of Kemmler. Council burned Kemmler down a while back, but several of his disciples have escaped. And he's looking for this book. And he says, it's a magic book. Nah, trinkets aren't too hard to come by. If my guess is correct, this book contains more of the knowledge and theory Kemmler used in his most powerful magics. So he gets to be the next Kemmler if he gets a hold of the book. And there's a lot of bad shit, basically, is what he tells him. They had thought all the disciples had been accounted for. I guess wizards can go into denial about uncomfortable things, too. People are people, man. And now you can tell this council about Gravain in this book, right? No. Why not? Because if I did, Maverick would destroy my friend. Long story. The short version is that I'm not real popular with the council right now. They're pretty busy now. With with what? A war. That's not the only reason you aren't calling them, is it? Egad, Holmes. No, it isn't. Don't push. Sorry. So those were actual zombies? Never seen one before, but that seems a pretty good guess. Then he talks about brains. These guys are more like Terminator because they're more useful that way. You know, he asks, how can you beat them? Well, with an axe. Burn him to burn him to ashes. A gun or a baseball bat won't do. Uh, this may come as a shock to you, Harry, but I don't have an axe with me. Is there something else? Maybe something that isn't so Bunyan-esque? And he talks about cutting off the flow of energy. Running water is the best, but we've learned that running water is the best way to solve everything. I'm going to have to find a house by a waterfall by a, because if- Or a river. Right? Because damn, they aren't intelligent. And then we have, we learn about the drum. It's not a person with feelings and such. It is used to being a person. And so the concept is that there's a rhythmic music or beat that substitutes a harpy for the zombie and links to that beat to the zombie's heart and the necromancer kind of can control them. That book, Butter said, Gravain kept drumming it against his leg. And then outside, that huge bass woofer in the Cadillac. Exactly. Make the beat stop or get the zombies out of earshot and he loses control of them. But that's really dicey because it won't destroy the zombie. It just frees him from the necromancer's control and anything can happen. They could just shut down or they could start killing anyone. Okay, so that's a good thing to know. 
in our, you know, zombie packet. And he explains what a warden is and the capital punishment aspect. Would the cops stop Gravane? No way. Not a chance in hell. Are any of them prepared to handle him? And if they tried, a whole lot of good people would die. They just sit there and let people like Phil get killed. If regular people can't do it and the council won't get involved, who the hell is going to stop them? I am, I said. All right. seven last week this is a pretty long chunk so uh i think we'll cut it off there and get into some analysis here first off what'd you think first impressions on the new novel okay um so far i again we've discussed it where i appreciate kind of the world building and the even the exposition bump dump rather of the zombies it didn't feel to shove it down your throat it was like butters didn't know butters knows, knows about as much as us yeah butters is kind of the audience's stand in there which is a, 100%. a great way, way to do the exposition. We've, we've kind of seen similar stuff to that in the past, but I, again, I, I really like the way he does exposition because it's so interesting that yeah. I don't care because I know that the next fight sequence is going to be worth the wait anyway, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, I didn't mention it last week, but the idea of Lara having to cut off Thomas to like make it look like the dad's still in power Mm-hmm. Dad hadn't cut off Thomas, right? Like, or do they think this yeah. kid, that that kidnapping will get out? I forgot to mention that last week. That it maybe it's just an escalation. I'm not sure. I guess maybe that explained. Like, there was commotion, and all the white court would know there was commotion, and then she can just blame it on Thomas. He, you know, she she's the uh, she's nominally in charge, but he is, or he's nominally in charge. Still. He's still the one. Who, uh, yeah, Lara's running the shop. So, but yeah, it obviously serves to put Thomas in this situation, which leads to great storytelling and great, great uh, character stuff. But yeah, no, the, uh, I loved all that. I I love the idea of a monster trying to live a human life and just the struggles he's running into at every step. I just mean a rich kid, not a white vampire. Yeah. Um, The struggles of a rich kid, (laughs) Uh, but you know, he's obviously the struggles of like never having to work hard, but he's just trying to live his life and he can't, he can't turn it off. I would guess as you get older, you have a little bit more control. And on that note, I actually wanted to bring this up that, um, so I, um, I got an email from uh, Marco about this, that I kicked it around in my head, but I, I I decided kind of, me and Lissy ended up going with a different tack, but where Bobby last week was kind of nauseous and not, you know, looking great coming out of the car. I guess it is possible that Laura Mm -hmm. was losing control of her, power because you know she was worried about thomas i appreciate that uh message there email i i went i didn't go with that because that's not really what her powers do um maybe i guess it could be anari as well but um it it seemed something laura was in a rush because she cared about her brother and whether that was holding back her power or because she was driving like a maniac i think it was the same kind of um idea but yeah no i i Mm -hmm. like that um thinking that it might be a supernatural reason is probably the right place to go in these novels. So I appreciate that. Um, uh, I don't have anything else on chapter one, pretty straightforward. We dug into it. Do you have any other thoughts? No. And I don't have anything. Actually, no, I do have one thing and it's a total, like I like the whole Murphy coming over when his place is messy. I mean, I totally get that. Cause like 
even people you're not interested in when they come over that you don't want them to see you living like a slob. Especially when it's not your fault. It's even worse. Exactly. Exactly. Just like I don't let anybody see when my friends come over, I don't let them see my craft room because it is a fucking disaster. (laughs) I'm like, I'm not a messy person. I swear. Mm -hmm. I am. I know your faults and it's (laughs) like you don't have any if you actually do something about it. Um, I like Harry. No, I'm a messy person. And that's kind of step two. Step three, profit. Uh, the, I, I love that you got the king. You nailed the Kincaid shipping right so away. Stoked on that, and um, obviously it's such because I love Kincaid and I love Murphy. So I'm like, oh, perfect. oh, it also presents a great source of like Harry. Like that's like the worst person for it to be for Harry, right? Yeah, but it's also a great. Um, I love that it's the they are both warriors. They're both like they go into battle with the supernatural. Both of them do in their own way, but one is on the right side of the law. One is on the on the other side of the law. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Vigilantes meeting in the middle. Yeah. Um, there's one kind of yikesy thing I want to talk about for that one, but we can go that later. Anything else? No. I I mentioned the hand. Yeah. It's, My philosophy on the hand. I like that because ordinarily, once something's cut off, it doesn't last long because, you know, blood will dry out or whatever. But because of the way the hand is kind of shriveled and burned, it would be mm-hmm. like a talisman that i think you could actually like i think that would be kind of preserved in a gross way uh so you definitely yeah. could use that so it is actually a good idea to make sure you don't luke skywalker that situation yeah but that was it was one of those things that i was listening to it and i was like holy shit because you know i did say, you know i he i talked about this last time where it's like his hand is his it's his yeah absolutely that was great, great but question. then i was like oh it's also his <laughs> That's how my brain works. Literally, that was like, oh, it's also his is literally with the thought I went through. But it's, you know, it's great because it's so it is appropriate in world, but it's also appropriate for his personality, not in world where he wouldn't want to lose his hand. Because I imagine like I've never had to have anything amputated, but I imagine that would be a very traumatic thing. Um, I mean, we can bust out the bone saw for Christmas if you want. Just let me know. Um, new experiences <laughs> and all that. I'm good. Uh, I'm good. You mentioned the graveyard stuff. I, you know, it's the second time we've really spent some time in this graveyard. Mm-hmm. At least the second time. I love and it. I really love it. Uh, his grave is so such a great piece, like a set piece, just kind of something you can go back. Oh to, yeah, that he has a, this open grave again. I, I love the inscription. Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah. On the gravestone. The epitaph. Epitaph. Yeah, I, I love the epitaph. Uh, you know, he died doing the, the right thing. I've already my crackpot theory is that he's going to die. I mean. I think he's going to die doing the right thing. And uh, yeah, hundred percent being a bad guy. I think he's going to do the wrong thing and then come back to be a, a good, a, uh, come back to the light. He's going to Darth Vader situation. It's two star Wars references in a, a minute. I apologize. That's okay. I love uh, it. Uh, star Wars is life. I, I, another kind of subtle thing in there is that Harry in his mind kind of has Murphy in the supernatural world. He didn't even think mm-hmm. Avra being able to, because Murphy size somewhat but murphy in particular she's been in the weeds with him for so long that like she is in the supernatural world but not not officially and everything is letter of the law so again just a cool like without even thinking about how much trust he has in murphy she's just default Mm -hmm. she's a monster fighting valkyrie yes but he also protects her from a lot of the worst or he tries to protect her from a lot of the worst of the other world does but it's it's much I, I think it's it's much better than it, much more of a he wants to protect her because he wants because he like he's she's his friend he 
wants to protect his friend. Yeah, no, totally. Not because she owns a vagina. No, 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 no. Which it, it used to be that for sure. <laughs> um, and in that Maverick conversation, you did a great job. I got nothing else. Yeah, I mean, the the only thing I noticed was the um the speech patterns. Yeah, though that was a good catch because again, a lot of these interactions are very formal. Like it was a formal truce, right? So that was mm-hmm. definitely interesting to me as well. Um, how casual it came out to be, but also that the mm-hmm. goal of this novel is to give a big bad guy unlimited power <laughs> in necromancy. Yeah, that's kind of the stated goal of it as of right now, anyway, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, I like I like the uh, kind of twist on we've been trying to stop the bad guys in the past, and now we have kind of forced to work. With but he has to do that on occasion, where he has to work with, you know, he has to like he had a truce with Lara, you know, all that stuff where he does. Have to, oh yeah, he, he you know he does make what needs those to, choices. He does what needs to be done for sure. It's just, I, I it was just another one of those subtle tweaks, you know, like Mavra's language, like yeah. how Bob was calling you know, before he even called him wizard. You know, just this novel's kind of off kilter a little bit, and I don't mean that in a bad mm-hmm. way. It's just there's like a ratcheting of tension here. Not a whole lot happened until Gravain, but it felt, it just felt kind of, I, I don't know, spookier than. Than some of the earlier yeah. ones. I don't really know. Foreboding. That's a- there was a lot of foreboding. That's why she makes the big buck, folks. <laughs> Large novelty sized dollars. But that was that was one that was one of the biggest things was the the, the foreboding for sure. Yeah, and that was really my only thought on my on the Bob chapter was was really that how everything just felt a little bit off, and then Bob felt a lot off and tried to murder him. It's never really explained why he wants to come out of the skull kind of convenient, but again, he hasn't really had anything to do in a couple of weeks and now he's dealing with something really. Stressful. Yeah. So I could see him wanting to kind of like stretch his legs. Cause it's almost like you'd want to like pace. Yeah. And whatever the air spirit equivalent of a pacing kind of thing. But I like that. We've never seen a scared bomb. We've never seen anything. Close no, that. no, we have Which not. Again, just ratchets, ratchets everything up a little bit. Next one, the butter stuff. I mean, I, I think he, I love the way he's portrayed. Um, I love that he, while he has witnessed all of this stuff, he is still trying to be very grounded in science, but he does listen to Harry's proof. And he comes to the realization that, okay, I'm being presented with new information. There's a TikTok I watch pretty religiously, but uh, Dan, guy named Dan McKellen, he's a, you know, he's a LDS. He's a, he's a, he's a religious guy. He's a Christian, but he's also a scholar of the Bible. And he's like mm-hmm. an expert in ancient, you know, or Greek, uh, Hebrew, Aramaic. So he like can read the the actual source material and his really interesting stuff. I mean, I recommend it. I, I'm an atheist and I love I, I, the Bible is a big part of my youth. And I there's some interesting stuff in there, good and bad. But it mm-hmm. breaks down a lot of the negotiation that a lot of people do with with the text. I, I don't want to get too deep in, into the weeds with that, but. A really interesting if you're into that sort of thing, breaking down like the mm-hmm. actual meaning and, and context of the times of the Bible. He's a, does a great job explaining it to my level, so you'll eat it up. Um, and um, <laughs> but his his tagline, his motto is data over dog. And so you mentioned that Butters yeah. is a is a scientist, and so he, he, he all the data has shown that so far in his life that these things don't exist. But as he's seeing a zombie, he's not sticking to his dogma that zombies don't exist. You know, he struggles with it a little bit, but he, that's how a man of science can so quickly come around. I, I, yeah. He's seeing evidence 
and you're reshaping your, you know, your, your hypothesis, like your, your understanding. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Doing the scientific method on a speed run here. Oh yeah. But the, the line about brioche, the boss trying to basically get butters in trouble, you know, shunt him off to the side and get him pushed out even more. It, it establishes butters as an outsider in his field, similar to Murphy, who's an outsider, you know, always hounded by IA. Harry, always hounded by the, the white council and Thomas, our entire part, you know, party here. All of them are outsiders and they're, you know, they're basically not kicked out. Some of them are kicked out, but they can't rely on their own whole kind of home group. So they have to rely on each other. And I just really like that kind of a synergy kind of Mm -hmm. similarity there of those, uh, all four of those characters are in a similar boat, even if you know, they're not all together in the book. Yeah. They're all, all our good guys have similar experiences, which is cool. The fight with Gravane, poor Phil. Again, just in two or three lines, we learned a good bit about Phil. He got axed. I like this style of zombie way better than a slow, boring one. Mm-hmm. That was really cool. Because that type of zombie works when you're forded up and like, you know, all the doors are locked and you're trying to survive in a bunker or a mall, you know, or somewhere. Yeah, no, definitely. It doesn't really work when you need them to be soldiers. So, uh, obviously, a simple choice, but a good one, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, anything else in that chapter? I don't. We we discussed a lot of stuff, and it was it was very, a lot of very um, good bits. Yeah. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Again, that huge expo dump. Loved it. <laughs> so, yeah. And they didn't even need a sex scene. Very good stuff. <laughs> One thing, I, I mentioned this last week, but I actually didn't press the record button before we started talking, so don't remind my sister about this. Um, but it fits here again, where, in my opinion, certainly my opinion matters less and less these days, but uh, like one of the big problems with midichlorians, there's another Star Wars mm-hmm. reference for you, good things in, come in threes, is it took a lot of the mystery and like the cool mystique out of the Force. The old conversation is that star trek is science fiction and star wars is fantasy obviously it's a science fantasy but it's like a space opera it's it's fantasy Mm -hmm. they don't always have to explain everything there aren't you know fake names for you know like how the what do you call it the engine you know they they do fill in those gaps which is kind of the overarching vision of what the story is trying to tell these kind of reveals like this almost like lean into this being a science fiction again like the only thing different about this world is that Will has power and that is creating all these things, but they're explaining mm-hmm. all these, you know, step by step, you know, explaining how Harry's regeneration, why do wizards work? Well, their cells regenerate better. But they have a little bit more I power. love that. I think that's yeah, wonderful. It, it's, it's just interesting that it's, again, it is fantasy, obviously, but it's yeah. grounded in our world and there's so much the scientific explanation. We've seen that all the way as far back as Stormfront. We're talking about doing, doing yeah. the equations, the formulas. Um, which I I just really liked that kind of leaning into that stuff. But yeah, they Harry and Butters taking care of each other. I love that. I I I really appreciate that because it, it very much shows that Butters is on the same level as Harry in that. You know, he's he they're very similar types. Yeah, I mean they definitely fit. They both have something that outside of the norm, this is might be reaching, but in like my perspective on this is they both have specialties that are outside of the normal day-to-day things most people deal with and yet they both are concerned about the other they both they both care they both are there to help 
And they both have very useful skill sets and information bases for the other. They're very specific bits of information. Yeah, they don't overlap. And that was exactly. And it's not something like that everyday people would be concerned about. So I just kind of like that. They're, they're kind of mirroring. Mm-hmm. Which you see a lot in protagonists and antagonists. You know, kind of Gravain is presented and yeah. looking like an evil, evil Harry twisting his mustache. But it, it's cool to see that also with the, you know, the allies of the hero as well. Yeah, definitely. Because Murphy is very different from him. Very yeah, different from she's him. She's five foot nothing. He's near enough to yeah. seven foot. Well, and I mean, I mean, Butters is little too, physically. Oh yeah, I just meant all the way to their core. They start off. Yeah. But these two are physically very different, but they are at their at their core very similar. You know, and even just the structure of their characters is very similar. And I kind of like that's kind of cool because he's got Murphy who is above and beyond like a badass. And then you've got Butters who's just really fucking smart and figures this shit out. Mm-hmm. And he has that again, it's a knowledge base, like Harry's got his magic knowledge base, and Butters has his bodies and death knowledge base. I, I like love that. I might be a little bit partial because, you know. I love that bit of knowledge. <laughs> yes, coroners are superheroes, Liz. We get it. No, no, they're really not. They just they just live in the really weird part of the world. Awesome. Yikes. What um did you have anything for yikes? I didn't. I didn't, because even when he he's, he encounters a half-naked girl, he still is sarcastic to her. And I was like, okay. <laughs> because the the conflict with his roommate supersedes any sort of yeah, which, sexuality. Which does really le- lend itself to what, you know, a lot of our listeners had said, you know, let, we touched on it, but definitely that his, he hasn't experienced women at all. And that's part of why he's so weird. No. But now he's been it for a year and it's probably a jogger every week. Right. So he, it's, old, yeah. it's old to him. Uh, one thing I didn't like about that scene and see this again, it's for the time, it's not bad, but it like the gay panic stuff, which isn't, even really yeah. that out of place, even today in a lot of circles. It, it wasn't too panicky, but it was sort of like, in uh, the way I saw it was that, like, yeah, I'm not gay. Um, but no, but he was like, wait, what? Huh? Like, I think he was more confused by it a little bit, but it also hypersexualizes Thomas even more. That's fair. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's not super standout It's just one of those things that's, again, like mentioned the, Dustin is the name of it. She's all the rights, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to plug people I don't like, but one of my podcasting, uh, someone that I really look up to in the podcasting world that kind of model some of the structure of this pod after Lenny Dan Rich, um, you know, they did a great Buffy podcast. And it's interesting that mentioned that like at the time, Buffy was this like really great progressive show, you know, doing new things, you know, really powerful women and stuff. And then kind of looking back, there are no people of color. They, mm-hmm. despite the Willow, you know, lesbian arc, they're really awkward about male homosexuality and the mm-hmm. showrunner was kind of a monster to people. So it's like in the moment it was doing great things. And I don't want to take that away. And I don't want to make this sound like I'm really hammering. It's just one of those things where I, I recognize at the time, I don't think it was bad, all that bad. It's just more nowadays. You just don't need to like a be scared of homosexuality and be like, have your characters do that. I don't think that. like I said, I made a bigger deal of it now by explaining myself than just that I, I wanted it to be for sure. Well, but it's just, you know, it's an awareness and it's like it, socially there is more awareness and accept and acceptableness. And it's how, how things are portrayed in the media is very different now than it was even 15 years ago. Yeah, for sure. 
different now again than it was three years ago. <laughs> That's See it. how things things progress. But yeah, I, I, I'm not trying to make it a huge thing. I just, you know, it's worth a mention. It was an observation. And then the other one, again, is more of an observation than anything else. But remember I brought up Meryl's hair color being referred to as um, pond scum? Yeah. And here, he refers to Mavra's hair as the color of bread mold. Gross. Which, yeah, I mean, she's a gross, disgusting vampire corpse creature. But it, I think it lends credence to my, like, Ponscum thought earlier, you know, like he, he uses these terms to just describe disgusting things. Yeah. And that just seems similar enough. Again, not the end of the world, but told you so, I guess. <laughs> really. But it, it is, it's notable. It stands out. It pops, which not, again, this is not, wasn't bad on the X front at all. Um, just those two even mentions is all I want to say there. Um, yeah. Anything, you got nothing else? Um, what no. Do you have, uh, for quotes this week? For quotes. Okay. On the whole, we're a murderous race. And then, then none of these are really funny. Death, you can't escape it. You will die. And then because that Kemmler was a certifiable nightmare. I mean, wow, he was sick, Harry. Evil. I like That one matters because Bob calling something evil means either. It's a big fucking deal. Bob is learning and progressing or this guy was really fucking evil. And both of those are yeah. interesting in different ways. And these are, these are kind of two parts of the same. I've chopped outside of it, but death Dresden is a part of you. It is woven into the fabric of your being. You are a collection of pieces, each of them dying and in turn being reborn and remade. Death, dead flesh adorns you even now. Nails, hair, you tend them and caress them like any other mortal. Your women decorate them, entice with them. Death is not a thing to be feared, boy. She is a lover who waits to take you into her arms. You can feel her if you know what her touch is like. Cold, slow, sweet. Take a little of death inside, boy, and it will lead you to more. Open your mouth. All right, creature. I just, I thought it was really well done. And then Bob wasn't supposed to be a sleeping nightmare waking, waiting to wake up. Bob was supposed to be my wise, quacking porta geek. <laughs> and that's all. Oh, goodness. Obviously, most of it was that chapter with Bob, which was like, that was the most like, hitch in the face chapter. Yeah, no, so. that was a... I really liked it. I did too. I got, uh, do me a favor. Tell him that it, I interrupted her in an impatient voice, that it was a lot of fun. You'll always treasure it, but, but that it was one time <laughs> thing and that you hope he grows up to find a nice girl or be president or something. <laughs> I do love the snark. Good. That's smart. As Harry was referencing being scared is smart. <laughs> Butter says, well then, I must be the smartest guy in the whole world. Uh, <laughs> and poor butters. Funny thing is trading insults with an egotistical super zombie just isn't my idea of a good time. <laughs> All right. That brings us to a hasty and prompt end here. Um, I, you know, we mentioned we were thinking about doing seven last night. It's just probably too unwieldy here. So appreciate you sticking with us and hold on. What, um, do you have a crack button here, Chris? I my crackpot theory has only been um re-encouraged, re-encouraged okay. by all of Butter's information about Harry that Harry might not be fully mortal. Oh, so you We have scientific evidence. Because I've been saying Harry. Oh, so you don't buy that that's a wizard thing. You think that's a specific to Harry thing. I think it might be specific to Harry. So why do all the other wizards live a long time? I don't know. 
I also think that it's, I very much agree with you. I think it's foreshadowing that Harry's going to die at some point. Oh, with the grave. Yeah. With the, well, with the grave and the, you know, all of the, a lot of the stuff that we've been encountering about death and this, obviously this book is called deadbeat. So there's a lot of death involved um, already. And uh, so I was right on that one saying that there was dead things involved. <laughs> so the Harry was doing magic against bad guys, I think was your. Yeah. But I know I said that dead things were involved. So, and yes, I, I did say Harry was doing magic against bad guys and Hey, who was right. <laughs> You're not getting a horn for that one. <laughs> but I did also, I also have my, uh, my Murphy and Kincaid shipping that, which is exciting. Like I literally text Josh that, that when I came across it in the book, it was very exciting. Um, yes, I need to get out more. I know. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, my, I still think that, that, that there's more to Harry than, than we're aware of. I really don't think that. I think there's something else there on his mother's side. All right. I dig, I dig, I dig. And hey, we saw Mr. And I didn't even have a crackpot theory about Mr. So I'm shocked. Are you proud you of wanna, me? <laughs> you riff one out real quick. Uh, <laughs> oh, right. I, um, uh, so I've been playing this game, the new game that came out. Actually, my buddy purchased for you. She's very kind of him. Um, I love presents. <laughs> Cause he wanted someone to play with. I was like, Oh, get it when it's on sale. And he's like, fuck it. Um, which oh, I appreciate, uh, Brad, if you listen, you're the best, but it's called Baldur's Gate three. It doesn't super matter, but it's based really deeply on the D and D lore. So there's a lot of uh-huh. dice rolls and all sorts of stuff that I'm intrigued by. I don't really understand. But so I, I tried to roll a, a wizard with Harry's characteristics so he has low mm-hmm. charisma, but he's like really has really sturdy. And he, I, I, again, I have no fucking clue what I'm doing, but apparently having low charisma is bad. <laughs> so it's going to hurt me, but which is great Oops. for Harry. So I'm playing as Harry Dresden and there's a lot of dialogue choices and stuff. And I'm trying to do a, as a, Harry as a possible. Harry Dresden playthrough. I love it. So that's how I spent. That's why I didn't get to bed till late last night. But um, that's hilarious. So that's my, that's my new thing that I've got going. If anyone knows how to play Baldur's Gate. <laughs> Give a holler. You know what I'm doing wrong because I think the answer is everything, but also, but, um, but that's all I got. What do you got? Anything exciting coming up? Well, my birthday is in a week from today, <laughs> and uh, uh, my mom and I, or our mom and I, are going to Kauai. We leave next Monday, so we might have to readjust our our recording schedule. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Or we can record on Sunday. <laughs> we'll figure something out. We'll make it work. Um, Figure it out. I'm just excited that you get to go on a vacation and a little jealous. I'm so excited for an vacation. My favorite kind of vacation is not one. So, um, <laughs> but I digress. I really appreciate y'all again. Um, keep those uh, that feedback coming. I know we make mistakes sometimes. We we love to hear about it and get better. Uh, we do. Also, I, I just love the discussions we're having. It really helps us come up with kind of some of the, the ideas we're having here. Um, but also. Like I said, this is the deepest I've ever been on this this story. It's a story that I love and I know front to back, but I'm learning so much from these. So I really do appreciate that stuff. Thank you guys so much. Um, mm-hmm. Give us a like, uh, all the star amounts possible on all the downloadable things. Please, please, please. It really does help. Um, and it's free to do. Um, takes you 12 seconds maximum. Um, still working on uh, Spotify. I don't know how I can release things early on Spotify and Acast. They don't have support for us yet, but I'm sure it's coming. So working on getting more opportunities for y'all to uh, subscribe, but you you don't have to subscribe to be awesome. If you do subscribe, you are the awesomest. 
Second awesomest. Lissy's obviously on top, right? Or, <laughs> right under uh, Third Charm, our favorite equine member. But um, yeah, you guys are listening, giving us uh, ratings, and uh, continue to tell your friends. Mm-hmm. It's really cool, and we appreciate it. But if you want to buy us a cup of coffee, that is also great. I like coffee, so hit up that, that link as well. Same. But um, yeah, definitely. I, I'm not a, a salesman. I am not. So you want to do it? Great. We love you. Just listening to us. And I am delighted to have you. Um, and we really love it when you guys send us messages and, you know, interact with us on Facebook. Um, Joshy does go through most of that because he wants to make sure that I'm not given any spoilers. Uh, <laughs> so, but we, we do but love it. To- we really love the interaction. Yeah. But feel free to send them because I love, I do love redacting. Heck yeah. Awesome. It's it, he does love he does sending love sending me emails with like four sentences. I know, but I read the block in. <laughs> but, awesome. Yeah. All right. No, I, I think it's great. I love I love the interaction. It's it's one of my favorite parts about the, the the podcast is you guys telling us what we got wrong and maybe telling us what we got right and kind of telling us what you think we should take a look at or talk about. I love is it. it. Is it is it great. your second favorite after spending time with your baby brother? Oh, well, that's my favorite thing actually. So- but that's obviously everybody knew that uh, i like spending time with you but also all of y'all i really appreciate you guys so thank you so much i have been josh and i am Alyssa. with the podcast was on fire and it wasn't my fault I just typed in for my phone number on this form, Mm -hmm. a phone number I haven't had since 2014. (laughs) Nope. Nope. 2012. That's amazing. That is amazing. You never forget your first. I have the same cell phone number since uh, 2000. Look at you. It's just because I just don't want to. Remember Some, a new one. Somebody didn't have to switch to pay as you go in the, in the <laughs> and it shows <laughs> money bags over here. Um, yeah, <laughs> you coming? You I coming. went up.